Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Psalm 119. We're going to do something a little different, slightly different today. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. We're just going to read the whole thing. That'll take all our time. I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're just going to look at a portion of Psalm 119 today. Uh, we're going to start actually in verse 97 if you want to go flip there. But by way of introduction, let me say this. Most people like to receive a gift. But there are different types of gifts. Especially if you're married, it's very important to know what type of gift your wife likes to receive. There are more practical gifts, like maybe a vacuum cleaner or a membership to a local gym. You better make sure that your wife likes practical gifts before you get her a practical gift, or she might assume you're sending her a message that maybe you were or were not trying to send her. Sometimes they want more just of a pleasing gift, an enjoyable gift, a bouquet of flowers, chocolates, whatever it may be. My wife, she likes gifts that land in both categories. Uh, She wants clothing that she finds beautiful, that she can keep for 20 years. It's very practical, but it's also enjoyable for her. God's Word is a gift like that. It's pleasing, it's practical, and the psalmist in Psalm 119, we're going to see that, how much he enjoyed it. Okay, so let's start. We're going to skip around a little bit. So I'm going to read a section here, and then we're going to go back and look at it. Let's start in verse 97. And I'm going to read about 16 verses. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now, I want us to think about this idea first, that God's word is a pleasing gift. If we are believers, if we're in Christ, there ought to be a sense that when we go to the Word of God and we read it, it really ought to be enjoyable. That ought to be the norm. It may not be that way every day, every morning, but more and more as we mature, as we grow, there ought to be a sense that I'm not making myself do this. This is not just duty. It's not drudgery. It's truly delight. It's, it's the desire of my heart. And there is a principle, and I think it's in all of life, but it's in the Christian life. If you're like, okay, I hear you. But to be honest, right now, the Word of God often feels like duty. It feels like drudgery. Persevere, and eventually it will turn into the light. Let me give you two stories. I became a Christian when I was very young. And so maybe when I was eight or nine years old, I don't remember exactly. My dad came to me. He gave me a little Bible. He gave me a little notebook, journal, gave me a little pen. And he said, son, 
I want you to read a chapter of the Bible every day, and I want you to write down something you learned. It could be a question you have, or maybe something you feel like God was convicting you of or impressing on your heart. And I want you to do this every single day just because you want to. And he said it with a big smile on his face. And I remember looking at the Bible and the pen and the journal, looking at him saying, but Dad, I don't want to. And he said, that's okay, buddy. He said, I'm going to make you do it every day until you start to want to. That's how it went in my home. So uh, was that a good parenting strategy or not? I'm not sure. But the point is, as I did spend a lot of time in the Word of God, at some point, even as a young child, it started to catch there's something good here. There's something sweet here. And most of us in this room okay, are, are aged enough to know it was probably a day back in college where you could eat biscuits and gravy every day for breakfast and not gain a pound. And it was wonderful. And at some point, biscuits, gravy, fried chicken, whatever it was, was not helping you so much with your love handles. And so you said, I've got to make some changes. And maybe you started eating grilled chicken all the time. And at first you didn't enjoy it as much as you liked the fried chicken. You persevere long enough and your taste buds change, right? And we all have, I bet we all have some food that when you first tasted it, you didn't enjoy it. It's an acquired taste. Put whatever you want into there. Okay, it may not be health food. Maybe it's beer, wine, dark chocolate. I don't know. But there, are, we, we know this principle that if I persevere in drinking the black coffee, eventually I like the black coffee. The same is true with the Word of God. Persevere and more and more, it will become a pleasing thing. Again, look at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is the meditation all the day. Guys, when you have free time, when you're laying in bed at night and you have a hard time falling asleep, when you're driving in the car and you can think about whatever you want, what does your mind naturally go to? I remember, I'll just give you a couple illustrations here, uh, going back to when, uh, this is right before Alabama got Nick Saban to be the head coach. And I have a buddy and he's a rabid Alabama fan. And he told me for the whole month that there was all this controversy and saving going to leave the NFL and come back. He said, man, i got to be honest with you. I have been so distracted. I spend every waking moment on the message boards trying to figure out, are we going to get saving or not? And, you know, maybe I should have fired him for wasting all his time on that. But the point was, he, he's in love with Alabama football. His thoughts naturally went there. Another illustration, I remember uh, right before I got married, I was engaged, getting ready, and I was working out a lot, trying to get in shape. And at one point, my mother-in-law said to me, you're in great shape. You're going to look great in your tux. And I remember saying to her, this man, I'll be the smartest thing to say, but I said, I'm not worried about how I look in the tux. You know, I'm worried about how I look out of the tux. There's just a difference in men and women, right? She's thinking about the big day. It's not what I was thinking about, okay? What is it that you just enjoy so much in life that your mind naturally goes there. And guys, it's not wrong to love Alabama football. I just hope you love the Word of God more. That ought to be a sense of delight. Look down to verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Think about the food that you love the most. Is there some sense in which you feel the same way about the Word of God? Look at verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage, for they are the joy of my heart. You remember when the Israelites came into the promised land, and they were all getting different parts of this wonderful agricultural property, but the Levites, they didn't get any land. Their inheritance was the Lord. And in a sense, the psalmist is saying, if I could choose the best property on planet Earth to plant my crops, or I could just have intimacy with you, God, through the Word, this is the heritage I want. 
this is the lasting heritage that I want in my life. Okay? I read something about a lot of these refugees right now in the Middle East because of the war. And their most prized possession, they're trying to get away, their most prized possession is their cell phone, their iPhone, or whatever type of smartphone they have. Why? Because it connects them to family members, loved ones. If they get into another country, get into a refugee camp, maybe they got a chance of finding a job. I mean, this is their lifeline in some sense, right? To get out. Guys, this is our lifeline <laughs> to survive planet Earth in a godly way. There ought to be a sense of, I want the Word of God in my heart, in my mind, in my mouth, because this is a lifeline that can connect me to all the most important things so that I can survive, so that I can thrive in life. Matthew Henry, the love of the truth prepares for the light of it. So if you really want the practical blessings of the Word, the more you love it, the more you'll experience the profitable, practical side of it. Mortier said, joy without obedience is frivolity. But obedience without joy is moralism. And here's the point, kind of in transition. The mature believer looks at the Word of God. It's a pleasing gift, but it's also a profitable gift. You've got to have both. You can't just have, I love reading the Word of God. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. Oh, I don't obey it. I don't do what it says. That'd be too hard. That's, that's not going to lead to a good life. Nor can you have, this is boring. This is dry. But I know it's true. So by golly, I'll try to obey it. Listen, white-knuckle obedience only gets you so far. You may be able to grind it out for a few months, maybe even a few years. But at some point, if the taste buds of your soul are not falling in love with the Word of God, you'll give up. You'll tap out. We were made for joy, guys. So we've got to be pursuing both things, praying that God will do both things in our life. Now, let's think about the idea that it's, it's, it's a practical gift. It's a profitable gift. Right? It's, I bet none of us are just getting up in the morning to read our Bibles early because we just love poetry. Right? Yes, I can enjoy the Word of God, but there's also a sense of I need help. Change my life. Grow me up. Make me into the man you want me to be. And the Word of God will do this. Go back to verse 98. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Now, I think there's two practical ways for us to think about that verse. You can think at a macro level, like my enemies out there in the culture wars. And just think about all the insanity right now of the transgender culture and all that. You don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be an expert in anatomy. Just read the Bible. One man, one woman, four life, God made you that way. You don't have to have any PhDs and you can be smarter than all your enemies in the culture war. But what about this? What about your lowercase e enemies the other Christians maybe in your church that said something to you a year or two ago and you're still really mad, you're still really hurt the word of God can tell you how to reconcile how to pursue them how to love them even if they're acting foolishly towards you does that make sense? the word of God gives you the wisdom you need in life to interact with all your enemies verse 99 I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. Now this can sound arrogant at first, but the point is, in the things that really matter, if, we, if we're seeking to become experts in the Word of God, 
there will be places and times where we are wiser than even our teachers. Let me give you a really practical example. When I was at Samford, I had one professor that I liked better than all my other professors put together. The guy was a genius. He was the head of the philosophy and the religion department at, at one point. And, and, and in many ways, a very godly guy. And he was great to listen to and learn from. He had read all these ancient texts. And, but he was, he was not a crazy, like, off-the-deep-end liberal. But he was a slightly liberal. You understand the type of person I'm talking about? And so one day we were in class and we were having a debate. And he would have been more of the kind, you know, God's not the one that causes bad stuff in life. We can't blame him. That's the, that, and I remember we were talking about the story of David and Bathsheba. And afterwards David's baby dying. And I was like, but, but God killed David's baby. It says that. And he said, no, no, that's, God, God didn't do that. Satan did that. And again, I was just a punk 19-year-old in the class. No doubt this guy's smarter than me. But I'm just like, but that's what it says. Right? 2 Samuel 12 says, the Lord struck his child. And my professor, one of the reasons I loved him is he was always honest. He said, well, I still don't believe it. I disagree with that verse then. Okay? So in some sense, he's a lot smarter than me, right? But there was another practical sense where to the degree that I was keeping my little brain tethered to the Scripture, I've got more practical wisdom in spiritual things. And whatever you're up against, guys, there may be people that can lord it over you with all their experience and reading and worldly wisdom. But if we're keeping our minds tethered to Scripture, you're going to win in the long run. Keep going back here. Matthew Henry. It can also help you understand your own heart more than a teacher can. You may sit under great teachers sometimes that intellectually are exposing the Scripture, but you can walk away and be like, how does that practically affect me Monday morning? You ever felt that way? But if, if I am soaking my mind, my heart in the Scriptures regularly, I think the applications will come more naturally because I'll understand the topography of my own heart, my own sin struggles. I'll know how to teach myself, so to speak. Look at verse 104. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Guys, there ought to be a sense that as we're reading the Word, loving the Word, applying the Word, that more and more we're beginning to love what God loves for the reasons that He loved those things and hate what God hates for the reasons that He hates them. And if that bothers you, it's like, man, I thought hate wasn't a family value and all that. That's what the bumper sticker says. How are you supposed to apply this? Usually when I come across verses like this, here's what I write in my little prayer journal. God, make me hate all sin the way you hate it. But help me hate my sin the most. It's easy to hate the sin of all the crazy, wicked people out in culture, right? And then kind of come away a little self-justified and self-righteous. I want to hate their sin. I just want to hate my sin more. I want to take responsibility. I want to start there. Even though my sin may look smaller, I want to start there. Look at verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Guys, I love this verse. To me, this one verse, I almost just did this one verse today. Because this one verse, we probably all heard it. Some of us probably have a cross-stitch from grandma or something over the mantle at home, okay, this verse. But th this is one of the most practically helpful verses in the entire Scripture. The Word of God is like a foot lantern. Imagine David or somebody in ancient Israel out at night walking through a rocky area, 
And he's got this little foot lantern, maybe a little torch. It's not going to show him the whole path. And guys, one of the biggest sins that I think we struggle with is we want to know the whole path. I don't want to just know the next step, A, B, C. I want to know A all the way to Z. Well, God, how's it going to end if I take this journey? That's usually not the way it works, is it? Usually God says, hey, I'm going to show you step A. You take step A in faith and trust me, and then I'll show you step B. I mean, just in the past two days, I have had multiple conversations where this verse has been the kind of key answer to what somebody was struggling with. I got one guy that's got a family member, and they've been at odds for years. And he's got to go confront that family member. But he's consumed with, what's the end game? How's he going to respond? And what if he responds this way? I'm like, brother, your job is faithfulness to have the first conversation. Don't try to quarterback the whole thing. Don't try to play chess and figure the whole thing out. I know another guy, he's looking for a different job. And he's been invited to come down somewhere for a weekend. And he's like, but what if I go? And they he's like, just take the next step. Go on the weekend trip. See what happens. And listen, guys, that comes from faith in God is so good. He's not trying to take advantage of me. He's not trying to pull the wool over my eyes. He's not trying to screw me over. I can take one step in faith. And when I take step A, God will show me step B when I need to know it. Okay? He's not going to give me all the knowledge I want, all the insight I want. He will give me all the knowledge that I need. God's Word is a lamp to my feet. It's not a floodlight. And guys, it's not a GPS. I don't know if y'all are this way, but a lot of times, even when I'm driving around Birmingham, I mean, coming here today, depending on where I'm coming from, how late I'm running, how bad the traffic is, sometimes I will punch into my GPS the Cajun Seafood House because every once in a while, Depending, it's faster to come down Rocky Ridge. Sometimes it's faster to get on I-459, come around the Broward Way. And I'm usually on the phone or something, I don't have to think about it. I want to just punch it in and just follow the directions. And I'm fearful. I know this is true of me, and I think it's probably true of a lot of us. That's the way we kind of want to do our spiritual life. We just want to put it on cruise control. But do you know how much intimacy I have with the GPS on my phone? Zero. It's just a tool. I just use it. There's no, right? God wants to walk with us like a loving father with a little son, hand in hand, step by step, having a conversation as we go. He's not going to show you the whole path. He's going to keep you in dependence and in faith. Now, God's Word is a pleasing gift. It's a practical gift. But the third thing is it's a prompting gift. It's a propelling gift. And I'll show you what I mean by that. It changes us. Look at verse 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. There's a sense in which, guys, as we're reading the word of God and we're enjoying it, as we're reading the word of God and it's giving us insight, it's not enough to stop there. I've got to go out and apply. It's got to lead to practical life transformation. John Calvin commenting on this verse, he talks about manfully resisting sin. Doesn't matter that all your desires are still saying, but I really still want to do this sinful thing. Part of the God the mature guy says, I know it's wrong. I'm going to obey. I'm going to fight to obey. Look at 106. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. That ought to be the attitude of our heart. Verse 107. I am severely afflicted. 
Give me your life, O Lord, according to your word. We're not going to do this today for sake of time. But one thing you do, if you take all of Psalm 119, just read straight through it. Part of what you see is it's almost like every other verse. One verse is like David saying, I'm going to do my best to obey. And the next verse, he's like, God, please help me obey. Or whoever the psalmist, the author here is. And that's a genius way to live and to pray. It's like, God, by your grace, I'm going to work. I'm going to do my best. And yet, Lord, if you don't bless me, if you don't help me, if you don't change the desires of my heart, I'm not going to be able to persevere. Live in that tension. I'm doing my part, but God, if you don't show up and bless and do your part, I'm a goner. There's no hope. Look down at verses 108 and 109. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord. Teach me your rules. I want to understand them and I want to do them. Verse 109. I hold my life in my hand continually. But I do not forget your law. Even in the worst times, even when I'm persecuted, even when I'm suffering, even when I think I'm about to die, I keep trusting the Word of God. Psalm 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Even when you feel like there's people out there that are out to get you, lying about you, slandering you, attacking you, whatever it may be, it's like, I'm going to hold true to the Word of God. This is what will protect me. And then look at verse 112. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. We've got to live in this tension. God, as I'm reading the Word of God, would you incline my heart? But God, I'm going to do everything I can to incline my heart. And in the mix of that tension, usually that's where we see growth. So I want to give us all kind of a personal challenge just for one week, seven days, till we're together again next week. Okay? And listen, some of y'all may be like, this challenge is under me. I'm already doing that. Great. Then you come up with your own challenge. But, but here's my challenge for us is just for the next seven days, commit to one hour a day in the Word of God. And that can be reading. That can be listening. That can be studying. That can be memorizing, meditating. But some form of interaction with the Bible one hour a day. And here's what I maybe want us to talk about at the table next week when we come back together. Did you notice anything different this week? Was there more affection in your heart for this pleasing gift of the Word of God? Did you feel like you maybe had a little bit more practical insight into some of the conversations or problems that you ran into during the week? And maybe most importantly, did you feel your heart more propelled towards godliness and less tempted towards sin? Does that make sense? So... I'm not going to be checking up on you, but maybe your table leaders will. I can't speak for them. But that, there's the challenge, okay? One hour a day, seven days in a row, and let's just see what God does. Now, the last thing, most important thing, the best thing about the written Word of God is that it points us to the living Word of God, the incarnate Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life. And guys, there is no more pleasing gift and to get to know personally our Creator and our Savior. I mean, there is no more practical gift because He gave His life as an atoning sacrifice to get us out of hell. And there shouldn't be any more propelling gift than reading the Word, mainly to see Christ and His great love for us, His great affection. And that ought to be the main thing that propels us towards obedience. Because there ought to be a sense, guys, when we take this section of the Word of God and we're reading through it, like we get to verse 97. Let's just go there again. You say, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 
And honestly, most of the time we read this, and even, even if you're in your best day, best week, best month, you're like, ah, that's kind of true of me some of the time, right? And hopefully it's more true of me today than it was a year ago, and I hope it's a lot more true of me in the future than it is now, but I'm not perfect. And there ought to be a sense of conviction, but there also ought to be a great sense of hope because your mind ought to go quickly too. But you know when the Lord Jesus Christ walked on planet Earth, He could pray Psalm 119, verse 97, and He meant it fully. I always love Your Word, Father. Always meditate on it. I always obey it. It's always joyful. So we look to Christ, guys, as our great model, as our great example. But a trillion times more importantly than that, we look to Him as the Savior of our soul, our sacrifice, who lived perfect in our place as a substitute, died and rose again. And so now, we get the freedom, we get the privilege, we get the pleasure of trying to walk hand in hand with Daddy. We're not perfect, but we're growing. And let's be motivated to grow in this process. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we do love You. I pray this week... Lord, whether it's an hour or not, that's not the most important thing. I, I do pray that all of us would make time to be alone with You in Your Word and to slow down and to read and to think and to meditate. And God, I pray that we would be experiencing all three of these things, Lord, that our heart would be growing in its enjoyment of the Word of God. There really would be a sense that this is better than the best food. We like it. I do pray, Lord, our mind would be expanded. If there would be a sense of our brain coming in contact with the divine and us being flooded with insight that we haven't had before. But God, we don't want to just be smart, happy people. We want to be obedient people. We want to be godly people. Lord, I pray as we're in this dynamic of reading the Word, enjoying the Word, learning from Your Word, there really would be change, Lord. Transformation where more and more, slowly but surely, we're loving what you love more, we're hating what you hate more, and we're obeying more. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who covers us, who forgives us, who atones for our sins, but then also in His great mercy and grace helps grow us up. Make us into the men and the leaders you want us to be. We pray this all in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.